0: I'm so pleased to welcome you to a very special episode of the XXLA Architects Podcast. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, but today I'll step aside from the interviewing mic to welcome Leslie Sidnor as guest host. Loyal listeners know that I interviewed Leslie in episode 15, and at the time she spoke so highly about one of her mentors, Helena Jubani, that I had to have Helena on the show, And to honor the truly special relationship they've developed over the years, I wanted to be a fly on the wall for their conversation. As you'll hear, Helena's 30 year career in architecture included 17 years of building her own practice with specialties in education and public work prior to mergers with NAC Architecture and Osborne. Helena's knack for developing leaders and her exceptional business development abilities really distinguish her contributions to the architectural practice. I hope you enjoy the show. You used to make the
1: joke uh, made in Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, tell them how you got from there to here.
2: So I was born in Taiwan and my parents took me to Brazil when I was one year old. So I spent my childhood and I went to University of Sao Paulo for my architecture degree. And after uh, graduating from architecture there, the Brazilian economy was really bad. At that time, like 100% inflation in a year. And it was very hard, Of needless to say, in any recession, construction, design construction industry is the first one that stops. So after I graduated, it was very hard to find a job. I had done some internship during school in the planning department for the city of Sao Paulo. But I was not interested in going into planning. I was more interested in going into architecture. So I thought that maybe what I should do is continue my education. So I came to the U.S. and applied for graduate school. So you came here first and then applied, or you applied? Yes, okay. I came here first in, in a year. Then I got accepted by Cal Poly Pomona, and that's where I did my graduate school there. Did you start your firm right away? Or did no. You work? When I first arrived in the U.S., I tried to find a entry position in an architectural firm. And it was very hard because with a foreign degree and no experience in the English system, Uh, Nobody really was interested in hiring. After I graduated, it was much easier. So I started to work for a residential commercial architect, but he it was a two people, but really was uh, a one man office working out of his house. Mm -hmm. So I would go every day for. I think I worked there for eight months, but I was very happy (laughs) because I finally (laughs) was able to find a job. Right, I thought this was the best thing that ever happened. Someone would now hire me. I think I was making. Eight dollars and fifty (laughs) cents (laughs) an
1: hour. But you remember when that was like not bad. Eight dollars and fifty cents was was, not bad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was I was thrilled. So I was drafting, doing the details, and after eight months, one of my best friends in the master's program was moving out of her job. So she said, you know, I'm leaving right now. Do you want to take this position? So I moved from this architectural firm to another one that was doing a lot of TI work for, um, like, L.A. Times, a lot of um, more institutional corporate Mm -hmm. organization. And I, I think I stayed there for probably six months when my friend again uh, <laughs> called me and said, oh, you know, we're hiring. Would you like to apply? So I moved again. This friend has given me a lot of
1: <laughs> my first Good to jobs. have friends yes. like
2: that. <laughs> that's why I always tell my students, keep the network of your classmates, because that's where you started your network.
1: Yeah, that's how I got my first job out of um,
2: grad school as well, was a friend from school. Oh, So see, that's very true. Yeah. So that's when I moved to this other architectural firm that did education work, a lot of public projects. I worked there for a year and my friend again left and she and another colleague from the same firm decided to start their own practice. So what happened was when she left, I took her position as project manager. So really after a year uh, working there I started managing a school projects and I was managing some county projects which uh, was very stressful because I had never managed anyone mm-hmm. and managing people that were older than me So, it was stressful but I always tell people say yes first and then try to figure out later <laughs> what to do
1: which is how I wound up working for Jubani
2: but we'll talk about that some other time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So after two years working for this architectural firm that did education work, then my friend again called. She said, Do you wanna join our partnership? At that time the firm that I was working was having financial problems and they were they stopped actually paying their employees. Wow. So I Thought, uh, might as well try it. I figured I had nothing to lose at that time and said, okay, let's try this out. The firm, uh, when I joined the partnership, was called Butler Forbes Jubani. Rod Butler was one of the partners. Geraldine Forbes was my friend and mentor. (laughs) And we worked together for two or three years. Right now, I know we knew nothing about owning a practice. We took our own tables that we had in our homes, rented a, a thousand square foot, uh, loft, uh, in the arts districts when that didn't used to be popular. It was very rough, but it was what we could afford. So we moved there. I almost felt that we were kind of practicing independently. Three partners and, and mm. we had our clients, uh, we, we share staff and uh, we were partners. We did it for a couple of years. So after that, uh, Geraldine said she wanted to go full time in academia. That was when this recession in the 90s was started to, like 93, 94, yeah, yep. started to brew. And we said, okay, maybe what we can do is a, a split then. I always tell my students, when you have your a partnership, you should always have a partnership agreement. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that because mm-hmm. I said it's like, Having a prenuptial, right? But we were good friends, and we were very uh, civilized in how we split the clients. Each one of us just kept the clients that we had, and Jordan went uh, to the academia. She became eventually chair of architecture at Whitbury University and the dean at the San Diego campus. And that's actually how I also got involved in teaching. <laughs> You see a trend now? <laughs> a little bit of a trend, yes. <laughs> a trend there, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So then I started on my own in the early 90s. In the middle of a recession.
1: <laughs> well, they say that that's actually a good time to start a business yeah. is when when things are down. It's it's kind of easier when you have nothing to lose, <laughs> right? Right. So that's mid
2: 90s, early 90s. I would early, say, 90s. yeah. Okay, early 90s. Yeah, because the worst was in 1993. Three. Because mm-hmm. That was the
1: right when I got out of grad school. Oh, yes. So you remember? I well. remember that.
2: I actually almost closed the office uh, because I went from I think I had like two or three people and then I started to lay off and then the only uh, staff that I had I had to lay off letting her know that as soon as I pick up the projects, I would bring her back, which I end up doing that. What happened was 1993, I only had at that time one client, one major high school district, and I decided that in order to get more clients, I needed to do marketing. What a concept, right? Right, right. <laughs> you would think that, that's why I said no plans of, uh, uh, and that's why I think why I like to teach professional practice, because I like to share all the lessons that I have learned in my career. So in the hope that people, uh, not so much that do the same mistakes, but are more prepared yes. to have their own business. So in 1993, I almost closed the office. I started to be much more active in uh, in organizations. So I chose to be involved with the Asian American Architects Engineer Association. I joined the board and became very active, and that helped to give a lot uh, the visibility, but also I I, there was a lot of mentors uh, there too. At that time, the organization, what it's called right now 2.1e, the majority of them were small businesses. So it gave me a lot of opportunity to see what, what they were doing to build their businesses. That was a good organization to also help small business connect with uh, institutions like the metro, the county, the city. Uh, so it really giving us exposure and understanding. At that time, there was the uh, Affirmative Action Program. How could you leverage that program to get more work with public agencies? That was a very good organization. I remember in 1993 that every evening I had an event to attend, just to get my name out there. Uh, I also joined the organization called the Coalition for Adequate School Housing Cash, which you're very familiar with, Very familiar with, yes. I remember starting to even going to their monthly meetings in Sacramento, flying there, and every time I flew there, I would get a somehow a job, either from a client or from um, another architect, helping them do portions of the work, so... That doesn't happen anymore (laughs) because that organization is huge. But at that time, it really helped build the business. I also went to Taiwan at that time. You probably didn't know that. I did not know that. I went to Taiwan in 1993 to pursue work there. I partnered with a larger firm. Being from Taiwan, even though I speak the language, as you know, I do not read and write. (laughs) (laughs) But I could, I can't communicate. So we pursue a couple of design competitions. We did not get it, but we end up working with a local firm that actually offer me a position there. Wow. Maybe even a partnership position there. I had to think very hard about it. The reality is that growing up in Brazil and then continue my education in the U.S., I am more westernized than, mm-hmm. than, Asianized, right? Right, say. right. So I thought hard. My mom actually was pretty excited because she thought that finally I was going to find a Chinese
1: husband. You <laughs> 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 said, yes, Elena, stay there. <laughs> she could get her Chinese
2: uh, son-in-law, yeah. Chinese grandchildren, yeah. and a place Good. to visit. Yes, a place to visit. Right. Uh, did not happen, let's just say. I came back. And that's when I put all my effort in, in marketing. And 1994, guess what happened, right? Mm-hmm. The earthquake came. Right. And saved many a lot, business, of, saved, a lot of businesses. Saved a lot of businesses. Yes. A lot of the school district clients had to do seismic uh, reports, upgrade. And it, within a year, I had five people working on all seismic-related work. And then after that, we start having these school bonds, right? So mm-hmm. every LAUSD started with the bonds and then other schools, and, and the business just continued to grow based on the school bonds and this type of work. And then 2003,
1: back when they were still doing ads in the paper... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you had put an ad for a project manager, and I don't quite remember... The description. But I remember thinking, eh, that seems a little bit out of my league. And my wife said, Oh, you should just go for it. What's well, you know, what could it hurt? Mm-hmm. And uh, Geraldine was back. And he was still in the arts district. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed and, you know, that was the beginning of our story of 10 years. Yes.
2: I remember when you came, Geraldine had taken a break from academia, came to my firm and became our director of design, mm-hmm. which was fabulous. We had her for a couple of years. Yep. And I remember she looking at your resume and I said, "Wow, what a find! How how come she's looking for a job?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the yeah. and the reason that I was looking for a job is at that time I had so I had worked in a mid-sized firm and kind of maxed out there went and did corporate for a minute and I had always had a bias of like it's probably really cutthroat and I'm not competitive but somebody that I respected said no you should come it'll be great and I went and it was everything I expected it to be it was cutthroat and competitive and I was fortunate that a couple of people kind of saw me and pulled me in and protected me from all of that nonsense Mm -hmm. but um I still wasn't very happy, and I got laid off. I went back to the firm that I had left with a person who was very difficult, and I thought I could do it again, and he drove me crazy, and he was the kind of person. We had a woman who kind of coordinated all of our subs, Mm -hmm. um, and he would make her cry probably once every six weeks. Hmm. And I was like, I can't do this. So I went to work for another firm. There's a small, like husband-and-wife firm, who were horrible, horrible... Well, they're horrible people, but they're also horrible business people. Mm. Um, There were points where, like, the lights would go out because they hadn't paid the light bill. We would get paid once a month, and that was never on the first. And things started to just slow way down. And I was like, I have to get out of here. Like, this is not the place for me, so... Lucky for me. Lucky for you. Lucky lucky for... (laughs) luckier for me. So that's how I... That's how I wound up Mm -hmm. there. I find myself very fortunate. The first person I ever worked for in an architecture firm was a woman. Mm. Um, My favorite place that I ever worked for in architecture was run by, (laughs) well, two women at the time, and then when Geraldine left, you. And did you ever find that being a woman was an impediment? I say this in light of having listened to some of Audrey's other podcasts, Particularly if you listen to like Margot Siegel's, um, Mm, I mean, that, those stories just amazing. Right. Like, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. And
2: I just wonder
1: what your experience has been in the earlier days.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, everyone knows that architecture has always been a male-dominated field, and there is very few of us, especially in the 90s and even in 2000. So growing a business as a woman-owned firm is... First of all, I mean, how many times have I gone to meetings or people come to the office looking for a, a Mr. Jubani, right? And I, <laughs> I mean, to say there is no Mr. Jubani. <laughs> um, and how many times people ask you if you are, uh, the assistant or the, the secretary, right? And very polite. That doesn't, of course, none of us that are in this situation That doesn't stop us from, from proceeding. But I was very intentional that I needed to grow the practice in order to do bigger projects. Because every time that I would meet with potential clients, they would ask how large my firm it was in order to size my capability. Mm-hmm. That was not a question asked to many uh, male owners. Right. Uh, so it was very intentional to continue to grow the practice. And I often heard other women architects that say uh, that school districts would give you elementary school, but never high school. And Knowing that, I always would go to our clients and say, thank you for the elementary school, but when am i am going to get my high school? So eventually, the firm was to a size, we were about 25, 28, and that's when people were comfortable giving us a high school. Mm-hmm. And you work in a couple of them, yeah, right? right. Yes. And I think that that was very intentional, to grow the firm to a point that people will feel comfortable giving us a larger project. And uh, the other thing is that often people wanted to come see where the office was, because they want to make sure there wasn't physical office. <laughs> so it had happened <laughs> so a couple of times that happened. So those are the uh, not not different than many women had that right. have had their own practice. The challenges are similar. Always thinking that there is a limitation on our capabilities. Often people ask. How difficult was it to be a woman in this industry? And I have to dig deep because I don't remember those things. Not because I don't want to remember, but I don't want to give it power. People have called me, you are a smart cookie, right? I mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> Or derogatory or things that now if you think about it is sexual harassment. But I just don't remember it's not in my memory because I don't want that to have a hold on me. But I don't think it's the right thing. Either. Right. Uh, I think part of it also is growing up in a, a very um a Latino country where sexual harassment is part of a day to day and Because day-to-day, you you are sexually harassed by comments that you don't see it. It it becomes, you're you're blind to it. So when I came to the U.S., I didn't see that as a sexual harassment uh, comment or derogatory comment. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, it's different. But when I just came to the U.S., I didn't see that. So that's interesting. That is interesting. It's a cultural difference, too. It is a cultural difference. Um, I let people
1: say a lot of dumb stuff without calling them out on it because it's a waste of energy, which is not to say that I'll never call you out. If it is egregious enough, I will. But if you spent your time calling out every single sexist and racist thing You wouldn't get the work done. And I'd like to say that, you know, for some people, it's kind of part of their strategy is how many stones can I throw in your path? Because eventually I'm going to trip you and you're going to stop. They've accomplished what they wanted to accomplish, which was to keep you down. But if you just kind of, you know, brush it off or, you know, be like Wonder Woman and -hmm. take your shield and just go and just keep moving forward, it can be painful, but you can kind of work through that, I think, so yeah, I totally see what you're saying
2: yeah it, it, unfortunately, you have to be more careful. I would just say in the early stages of my career, clients would get advances, which was very uncomfortable hmm. uh, and what do you what do you do <laughs> right <laughs> and so I just became more careful in not putting myself in a situation where there's more people around right right right. so you even if in the conference room not by yourself so you just have to be more aware of that which is unfortunate right no
1: it is unfortunate because again it's it's us as women and people of color you expend energy worrying about things that other people don't worry about and so it kind of takes away from, you know, how high could I have risen if I was not spending time deflecting you and
2: your nonsense? So, um, But I also think that how women behave in a more male-dominant industry, I never believe that you have to act more like a man to correct. be in that. I do think that you can be yourself mm-hmm. and just find the right balance. It doesn't mean that you have to be as aggressive. And it doesn't mean that just because you're soft-spoken that you are not a leader or you should, people should not take you seriously.
1: Well, you definitely taught me that because I can't say, knowing you as well as I know you, I know you have been angry or upset, but I've never, ever, ever seen you show it. At least not in front of everyone.
2: (laughs) In the closet, I'm in
1: the closet. A different story. (laughs) Um, So
2: yeah, you're 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 right. You don't absolutely. You're not going to try to be someone that you're not. Right. You find your style. Your personality has to to shine too. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said
1: that you have the success that you do with the. Personality that you have. I know that after I left NAC, I was doing construction management and my immediate supervisor, I mean, aggression, like if you look up the word in the dictionary, his picture is there and he would always say, Oh, you got to put these guys on notice. You got to tell them what's what. And I just look at him and I'm, no, we're having a conversation. Like, yeah, they're contractors, but they haven't done anything wrong yet. And so why am I going to start with this from a position of aggression? It's not going to be successful. That's not who I am, and I've been successful not being that way. And it got to the point where I actually put a picture of Teddy Roosevelt over my desk with his quote, walk softly and carry a big stick, and you will go far. And every time he came to bother me, I would just point at the picture like, (laughs) I'm doing well, and I don't need your style, I don't, you know, and... I still have a really good relationship with that contractor. And in fact, at one point, the project manager, he would be having issues with who he was working with and he'd call me and, you know, say, you know, how do I get through this?
2: There is no listening. When people start yelling to each other, There's nobody's listening to anymore. Right. There's no...
1: I mean, most people who are yelling are yelling because they think that nobody's listening. So if you stop and you listen, and then you have a conversation, that might be a better way to go. Yeah. And so you had your firm, some variation of Jabani architecture for, what was that 20 years?
2: Yeah, about actually 17 years. I was counting the, day, yeah, <laughs> 70 years total, right? I think you, you, and I were talking about, uh, in 2004, the economy was booming at mm-hmm. that time. And that's, as you know, we, I was thinking about succession more, uh, which is
1: very, um, ahead of the curve so early in your career that you were already thinking ahead
2: yeah maybe because i don't have children either there is no <laughs> who do you live the the practice to right, right? so right. you think about uh the legacy or really more about the succession and i mean we had a great team of people we talented people and you want to also take care of everyone right right you want people to be part of something that they help build right i happen to lead the firm but i'm everyone has contributed to the to the growth
1: right i can definitely say that in my time here that i definitely felt like it wasn't just you and that you weren't just doing it for yourself but that, um, we were a family. I mean, I remember that picture we took at Christmas oh, yes. for you. And there was the project that like kind of, I call it the dating project with mm-hmm. NAC that mm-hmm. was up on the wall yes, in yes. the lobby. So that's, I want to say that's 2006-ish. Yeah. 2006. And I just remember us taking that picture and there was this thing like, this is the picture we're going to give mom for Christmas, mm-hmm. because you definitely were that nurturing person who mm-hmm. um, always had everybody's best interest at heart, which I think is also very—I mean, not all women are like that, obviously, and not all women in business are like that, but I think that more often than not, there is that nurturing— Mm-hmm. That comes from a woman in business with a firm like this that, you know... More you compassionate. Really, yeah. yeah, much more compassionate. I definitely felt cared about that everything was not purely a business decision. So...
2: Yeah. That's when, remember, when we had a PSMJ come and do, we did a boot camp, we Mm -hmm. did a thing, personality Personality analysis. Personality analysis, yeah. And see how we could uh, position everyone uh, into leadership. And then part of that was also thinking about uh, succession and also about resources, right? We were competing against very large firms, and the resources that we had were limited for 25-people firm. And that's when some of these consultants suggested that if I would consider a merger. Actually, there was another firm came to ask if I was interested. And in, uh that's when the consultant came in place, asking if that's something that you would consider. That's when the discussion started. I knew that with 25, with one principal, it's hard. We always talk about a good ratio between principal and staff is between 10 to 15 and when you are 25, you really need more people in the leadership. And so in the 2006, and that's when we were all, the whole family was introduced to AC. Yes, <laughs> right. It was a process of seeing how the culture would be a good match, or right. a culture match. And that would be the first, first thing that we looked at.
1: Right. I mean, from my perspective, as a person who had run from corporate structure it was a great match Mm -hmm. corporate but not so the resources and the organization of the big larger corporate firms but definitely our sense of family was maintained i felt like our family got bigger so i i applaud you for at the time maintaining um the things Mm -hmm. that we loved about jubani architecture
2: yeah i think that has been a good cultural Mm-hmm. I feel it has been a good cultural match. Yeah, it's very flat. The uh, Yes, very flat.
1: which is probably why it felt the way that it did at the time. Uh, so I, I left in 2013, which mm-hmm. was one of the most agonizing things that I've ever done because you've been an incredible mentor and remain mm-hmm. an incredible mentor and friend. As you recall, my reasons had nothing to do with being at... NAC or Giovanni, but wanting to do something different. But that was 2013. And in 2015, was it
2: 2015 that Osborne? Uh, No, I think it was 2014. Okay. Yeah. So Osborne merged with us and Mm -hmm. we became a double the size of our Los Angeles office. Right. Yeah. Went through two mergers.
1: (laughs) Right. She'd been You know, on your own for a substantial period of time, and I point to the Osborne merger more than the NAC because NAC was men, but they were up there, up in Washington, right? With none of the partners. Nobody Nobody locally,
2: yeah. So I still uh, somehow managed the office on my own, but had resources, of course, uh, corporate resources, HR, uh, marketing, and finance. So that was. So now you,
1: for the last five years, you've had male partners immediately in your vicinity. Mm -hmm. And how has that changed? I mean, there's two, so there's two questions I have is, one, how has that changed? Do you feel that the culture of the office has changed? And two, what has that meant for you personally now not having, I know you're still managing principal, but not having the entire weight of an office mm-hmm. solely on you.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So culturally, yes, it, uh, it does change because when we merged with uh, NAC, there was a uh, slightly cultural changes because well, now we're part of a bigger organization, but not as much because we were not living in the same house. When the Osborne merger happened all the kids are living in the same house. And there is a cultural change because I'm not saying that it's one or the other. It's just, it's a, I'll say it's a new culture. No difference than when you're getting married. So if you <laughs> never live with anyone and you live in uh, together. There are things that are, you have to give and take. Right. And so it takes a, I would say that it takes a couple of years to adjust. I, when we just merged, I was telling, uh, telling people, it's like, uh, how do you roll your t- toilet paper, right? It's like. <laughs> Is that good or bad? There's no good or bad. It's just... It's just <laughs> different. It's just different. Right. It's just different, right? So we went through a, a couple of years of adjustment, but now it's been four years now. I love it because it's not only relying on me, even though I am continue to be a managing principal, but I do have other shareholders or partners that I can share. So we are sharing the management the, of the office. We're sharing... Uh, the challenges of the office we're sharing the victories of the office so all is shared and then I don't know if I think you know that recently we promoted three women as partners so I'm very happy to see how we continue to promote and support women in our view in the leadership so that that's something that came from the merger I think that's wonderful to be able to have that. Absolutely. And I I would say that the first transition of a merger with NAC has different adjustments, and the second one has a different adjustment. I think the first one is going from one person making all the decisions to now you have 30 partners, and now you're sharing, have accountability to your other partners. Uh, Not in a bad way, but it's also sharing. Mm -hmm. So... That was the the adjustment. The other one was now we're all living all in one, under one house. Right. (laughs) Big house. Right. Yeah, so that's why we moved to this new location because it was not your house or my house. It was our house, how we uh, redesigned it. Right. I
1: know you're traveling more because when I try to get a hold of you, you're like, "Oh, I'm at this conference. Oh, I'm going to China. Oh, I'm going here." So certainly, the merger has afforded you opportunities to that we didn't
2: have. As you you remember, when we were Chubani Architecture, that we did everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So, finance, HR. So I had to be involved in all that. Now with more resources, we have a CFO. We have an HR director. We have IT director. So they take care of a lot of the functions that I needed to do, and I don't have to. So I can focus on things that are more interesting, such as expanding the practice in China that we started a year ago. We're doing projects in China. Uh, we also are doing work in Hawaii. Uh, that's not bad.
1: I was going to say, <laughs> oh, terrible places. I feel so bad for you. <laughs>
2: I feel blessed with that <laughs> <laughs> and we we are pursuing work in Austin so there yes there's a lot of travel more traveling because we are expanding the market and what I liked is being able to do the strategy mm-hmm. for the future of NAC mm-hmm. to be part of that one of the things that I'm leading is the leadership development program which I'm glad to hear because you were always. Outstanding at that. Thank it's, you. Yes, absolutely. It's important to identify future leadership in, within the firm and help them grow. And so, I mean,
1: you always do a secession plan because you're thinking that there's going to be an exit. Yeah. And so, 15 years later, 16 years <laughs> later, after first thinking about your secession plan, um, you are you have not exited.
2: No. And
1: so. Do you have thoughts about that?
2: Yes, people ask because as, as you every year passes and say, well, what are your plans? Are you going to continue working? My response is that as long as I bring value and whatever I'm doing is still exciting, I will continue to to work. Right now, I'm very interested in uh, growing the leadership for the next generation for NAC. That's one of the things that I'm very interested in.
1: I actually think that you, um, yes, you are growing the leadership in NAC, but um, I also appreciate that personally that you still stay involved in my career yeah, and absolutely. what I'm doing. I definitely you never.
2: My, my, uh, I, you never leave. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Again, I, I, I'm fortunate that working for you. Was amazing. I got to do things and see things in a firm that I never thought that I would see. When I interviewed with you, I had a line that I used to use that I had to abandon. After working with you, somebody asked me, well, why did you leave that firm? And I won't say what that firm was. Mm -hmm. And I used to say, because I hit my head on the glass ceiling when I walked in the door. And you, um, for me, shattered the glass ceiling. And I really appreciate that. And I think that the success of the firm and the longevity of the firm has to do with the fact that you you see potential in everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, We liked who we worked with mm-hmm. for the most part, and we always wanted to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. I certainly nurtured that part of myself based on working with you. And I remember a hard lesson that we had to learn about staff was we had hit a wall with a staff member and thinking, you know, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at the time, our response was to find something that that person would be good at. Mm -hmm. I think that's really unusual for business in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I can only speak to architecture, that it's very unusual that, that you would even attempt to do that, which just goes back to the idea of... The firm that you had created as kind of a home is that, you know, brothers and sisters and not everybody gets along and everybody's got a different personality, but everybody has a place. Mm
2: -hmm. Everyone has their strengths, right? And I enjoy seeing the potential of people. (laughs) And and as you know, I'll push you as much as you can take it until (laughs) until you say no. (laughs) I like. I like doing, I, I love doing that. I like seeing people reach their full potential. And so,
1: with Geraldine having been a mentor, does that affect how you mentor other people? Because, I, again, I do think you're a great mentor.
2: When we talk about mentorship, I often think that we all have several mentors in our lives, mm-hmm. right? In each phase is, uh, is different. You learn different things from different mentors. So... Uh, what I learned uh, from Jordan, she a thinker, right? And I am um, I'm an achiever. So I like over,
1: of, you are an overachiever. I like to get things done. Yes, you like to And
2: uh, she and I were good balance when we practiced together because I would be ready to get things done. And she would say, wait a minute, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? So I think that's always good to have partners that can balance you. So that was what I learned from Gerardine. So how have you thought of all the different possibilities. And I also, especially when in the beginnings of my practice, I would always look to other small business, especially women-owned business, and see what they were doing that made them successful Mm -hmm. and see if I could uh, learn from it. And I also learned from uh, people that are not in the practice and observe, by observing what makes them unique, what makes them successful, what makes them be able to get what they need for either practice or for a project or budget so i was always looking in, uh, and observing what people were doing i consider it as mentoring to people that didn't know that they were my mentors <laughs> you know fair <laughs> enough yeah and i think mentorship for me has been both ways because you learn as you mentor others you learn also from, from those people from right. those people so right. it's always a two way i learned quite a bit for it and so you recently
1: I guess, one, is that the word, um, the L.A. Business Journal?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and how did that come about? I don't know. This was the first time the L.A. Business Journal has published the influential woman in design and construction. Hmm. And that, that my name was one of the women identified. So I still don't know who, uh, who, nominated, who
1: nominated me. And so... You're married to an architect? Yes, I (laughs) (laughs) am. And
2: so, do you, you
1: don't work together though, ever, do you?
2: Only in our uh, remodeling of our house. I always said if you can remodel a house together, the marriage is good. (laughs) (laughs) So, you don't, that's the only. Projects that we have worked together. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. right. Yes, we don't think at this point it's a good idea to work (laughs) together. (laughs) And it works for many. I mean, there's many successful firms that are husband and wife, and I admire that.
1: Well, to be fair, though, I think maybe you were already incredibly well-established as the architect that you were, as was he yeah. when you guys got together. So it probably would be different. Right. Uh, we have were... different
2: styles. We have mm-hmm. different um, different management style. We do have the, the same design sensibility, which I think that's the reason why I say You can so. do the house? Yeah, we can do the house. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, we probably could design the house together and be happy with it. <laughs>
1: So, as I, I said earlier, but I want to share with everybody, the reason that I am guesting on the podcast is because when I did my podcast, um, I referenced you a lot. And so I want to take this opportunity. I mean, I'm not done with my career by any stretch of the imagination, um, I'm You're all, too young to be done. I'm too young. I'm too young to be done. I have too many ideas. I have too many thoughts. I want to thank you for. I mean, I recently, as you know, um, was elected to the AIA board of directors. That's yes. congratulations. Um, def, that is a direct thank you. That's a direct tribute to you. Watching you as a leader and remembering when you were on the board. I have never lost my interest in practicing, Mm -hmm. Um, and that is also due to my continued contact with you. I just, again, want to thank you for your continued support and mentorship and friendship. I think that the people who work with you are incredibly fortunate. They probably don't know how fortunate they are, Um, I mean, you probably don't have horror stories of working for people. I have horror stories of working for awful people. (laughs) So I knew when I landed here and was here that um, the awful things were behind and that you can be a business person, you can be an architect, you can be very um, business-focused, design-focused, growth-focused, and still take care of the people around you, and be nurturing and successful, I think women are good at that. I, yeah, creating
2: the, a space for people to be able to evolve and grow and practice architecture. Yeah. Right. So thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the XXLA Architects Podcast. There are many things that struck me about Helena, like her grace and social intelligence. But I keep returning in awe to how she attended networking events every evening in 1993 to jumpstart her business. It's concrete examples like that that showcase how much work it takes to grow an architecture firm. I want to extend a big thank you to Leslie Sidnor for guest hosting and Helena Jubani for sharing her stories. Today's episode was edited by me, Audrey Sato. If you want to see images of Helena and her work, please visit our website at xx-la.com. You can also find me on social media, especially Instagram, at xxla podcast. And hey, if you or anyone you know wants to sponsor the podcast, please reach out. Stay tuned and thanks for listening.